I enjoy the commercial on TV for ragu or prego, one of those spaghetti sauce commercials where the woman picks the wrong one, you know, and then she says, oh, I wonder what other bad choices I've made. And then they show us the bad choices she's made, you know, the hair and the clothes and all of that. It kind of points out to me that we often, many of us, have blind spots in our lives where we don't see ourselves the way we really are. I know it's been true in my life. For instance, I just assumed everybody would think I look great in a bushy mustache. But I'm guessing everybody was saying, shave the mustache, Baker, shave the mustache. And actually, that wasn't the first time I had one either. It goes back... A lot longer than that. Or worse still was somehow I thought that wearing a big bow tie would make a person look dapper. <laughs> Everybody else was thinking I looked like a clown. I thought it looked good, but apparently I thought my whole life that uh, having a bow tie would uh, make you look good. I did make one wise choice, however. I did invent skinny jeans back in the uh, early 70s. So one good choice there. Listen, we're going to be talking today about blind spots because I think we have, most of us, a blind spot where we don't see ourselves accurately. And that blind spot in, involves finances. It involves our money. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And I want us to see if we can kind of over come that blind spot and see ourselves the way God wants us to see ourselves. So before we get into it, I've got to give a couple disclaimers. Um, one of them is this is an area of life where I struggle a lot. I struggle with materialism and consumerism and greed and I like to have things, I like to buy things and so this is a battle I'm still fighting in my life so I'm probably not going to be using myself as an example to follow. The other thing I've got to say is I don't understand finances at all. I mean, I'm so ignorant in that area. Fortunately, I have a couple really wise, trusted financial advisors who help Sally and me so much. We um, will meet with them. You know, we sit down at the table and he pulls out these charts and he shows us all these ups and downs and things. And Sally and I nod. Oh, yeah, look, Sally. Look at, yeah, look at that. And then we go out to the car and we sit down in the car and we shut the doors and we look at each other and said, I didn't understand a word of that. Did you know what was he talking about? So I don't understand finances. Let me just say that. But I believe that God gives us some principles that are pretty clear and can help all of us in understanding the truth about ourselves. So if you're willing, let's just kind of jump into that. Here's the first principle, and it is that we are rich. My guess is if a few minutes ago I'd ask you to raise your hand if you are rich, I'm guessing that nobody in the room would have raised their hand. Maybe partly because out of modesty, oh, I don't want to show off that I'm rich. But I would guess most of us would not have raised our hands because we do not believe that we are rich. For some of us, we probably would say that we are poor. You know, maybe you're among the currently unemployed, maybe for no reason, you know, fault of your own. Um, maybe you struggle from month to month, and maybe your, you know, your income is stagnant even though the cost of living keeps rising and things get tougher and tougher month by month, and you would say, I would probably put myself in the poor category. 
most of us, I would guess, would probably say, well, I'm, I, maybe I'm not poor, but I'm certainly not rich. I mean, we look up at the rich people, you know, that top 5%, the ones who this year are going to be raking in millions or in some cases billions. And we think they're the rich ones. And media just flaunts that kind of extravagant, rich lifestyle, right? There's actually a show on HGTV called Million Dollar Rooms, and it shows people who spent a million dollars decorating a single room in their house. No, we are not rich. Blind spot. I think the reality is that we are rich And the blind spot comes because we always look at those above us. And there are always going to be those above us who make more, who have more, who live more extravagantly than we do. And we look at them and by comparison, we're not rich. But what if we looked the other way? What if we looked at those who maybe are below us on the economic ladder? Might we feel differently about that? Let's, let's think about a couple basics. Let's think about water. I wasn't real confident in the water at our house. Sometimes it tasted funny to me. So when we got a new refrigerator with water and ice dispenser in the door, I was glad that it came with water filter as well. And I put a couple water filters on a couple of the faucets in our house and was feeling kind of good and confident about that. 1.1 billion people in the world have no access to clean water, more than a billion people. 400,000 of those are children. I get frustrated when I turn on the hot water and I have to stand there and wait for 15 seconds until the water gets hot. It seems like that's too much work. You know, if you lived in a developing country, it could be, especially if you are a woman or a child, that you would spend hours, literally hours every day, in the back-breaking job of walking to the nearest source of clean water and then carrying it back to your family every day, seven days a week. We are rich. Think about health care. I complain a lot about the cost of health care. I have a doctor whose office is just a few blocks from my home, and when he's not available, they have an urgent care clinic that I can go to in case I need help when he's not available. We live within 100 miles or so of two of the best hospitals and clinics in the world, and I can reach those anytime I need to in, by driving one of the two cars that I own. 270 million people have no access to health care at all, none. Two million children die each year from preventable diseases like diarrhea or pneumonia. We are rich. Do you understand where this is going? 870 million people don't have enough food to eat. 22,000 children die every day. 22,000 children die every day due to poverty. And as I was researching this and looking at these statistics, it was always the ones about children who struck me the hardest um, because I can't imagine what it would be like to be a father or a mother of a child that you could not feed adequately, to watch 
your child perhaps die uh, from malnutrition, to watch them go blind because you don't have $2 to spend on an eye drop that would cure the coming blindness. We are rich. Do you have a house? Does it have a, a roof, a floor, heat? 640 million children in the world don't have adequate shelter. Do you have electricity in your home? One-fourth of the world's population does not have electricity. Has the point been made? We are rich. And if we don't think we are, it's because we have a blind spot. Principle number two, we are rich because God has blessed us. God has enabled us to be rich. Now, I struggle with that a little bit because I think to myself that if I have a comfortable lifestyle and a good income, it's because I deserve it. I earned it. I worked for it. I went to school for 20 years, not counting the three years in fourth grade. You know, I worked, I studied hard, I have a good work ethic. And so I get to feeling like I am a rich person if I am rich because I worked for it, I earned it, and somehow I deserve it. But the Bible says that we are rich because God has enabled us and blessed us. James chapter 1 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good gift we have comes from God. I mean, if you think about it for a moment, just a little change in how different your life would be. What if you didn't have access to education? A lot of people in our world do not. Two billion people in the world cannot read a book or sign their own name. You know, I look around at Orchard Hill people. You are the most gifted, talented, educated, giving, generous people I have ever known in my life. I am amazed at you. And it's really hard, I think, for people like you and me to realize that what we have comes from the hand of God. I mean, what if you had... um, What if your IQ was 70 instead of 120? I mean, how would you have done with that education? What if instead of those extra hours you put in at work, you know, earning overtime pay or working your way up the corporate ladder, what if those extra hours were spent every day digging through the garbage in the city dump of the slum in which you live, trying to find something recyclable or reusable or... We're still something edible. To help us understand this principle, Jesus tells a story. It's a really interesting little story that he tells. It's found in Luke chapter 12. In fact, it's uh, printed in the bulletin. If you've got that, it'll be on the screen. Let me give you a little background of the story. Jesus has a group of people gathered around him listening to him teach. He was a rabbi, right, which means teacher. Jesus was a gifted teacher. And in the midst of his teaching, somebody calls out from the crowd, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus stops and he says, in effect, in part, whoa, wait a minute. 
He said, let me just warn you. He says, be very careful about greed. And then he says, because a person's life, you know, isn't measured by his possessions. And then he goes on to tell the story of a farmer, an Iowa farmer. Maybe not an Iowa farmer. Here's what it says. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, hmm, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, ah, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have been prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Well, the first thing I notice about this story uh, is that the, that the farmer is uh, rich. Right? He's a rich farmer. I suppose that means he was a good farmer, knew how to farm well, and that he probably had some good crops before. Second thing I notice is that Jesus says in the parable that it was the ground that brought forth the good crop. God is the source of the good things in our lives. And I'm sure that every farmer in Iowa would say, you can be the best farmer in the world. But if the sunshine and the rain do not come at the right times in the right amounts, there will be no harvest. There will be no good crop. Jesus is pointing out to us that biblical truth that every good thing we have from God, even the harvest, is dependent upon God. And so this farmer is rich because God has blessed him and given him a good harvest. Now, is a big harvest, a good harvest, a bad thing? Well, of course not. A a good harvest is a wonderful thing. It's a blessing from God. It's a good thing if you get a, a raise at work or a promotion or if, uh, if your stock dividends go up. Those are good things. We need productive farmers and successful businesses. That's not a bad thing. So what is the issue? What is the point that Jesus is trying to make in this story? Well, it comes at the end of the story when the farmer is going to die and God gives some stern words of warning to him. He calls him a fool. In fact, we could probably say he was a damned fool because Jesus says his soul would be demanded of him that night. He was a fool. Why? Because he was rich in things and poor in his relationship with God. So what did the farmer decide to do? Well, he was going to build bigger barns and store his goods and he was feeling fat and sassy. He thought, I have got so much, I'm just going to use it to indulge my every whim, to experience every pleasure. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. In fact, if there is no God, that's not a bad philosophy, is it? If there is no God, if there is no life after death, if this life is all there is, then why not adopt that philosophy? Why not say to yourself, I'm going to get all I can, and I'm going to use it to experience as much 
pleasure as I possibly can. In fact, it's even talked about in the Bible. Uh, the Apostle Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, If the dead are raised, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. But there is a God, and there is a life after death, and our relationship with God is crucial in our lives, isn't it? So, let me suggest some things that it might mean to be rich toward God. What is Jesus saying to us? That this farmer was not rich toward God. What would he say to us about our relationship with God? Surely being rich toward God means that I value God more than I value things. That I realize that my relationship with God is more important than the things that I have that I often seek after. And that I'm going to use the riches that God has given me to glorify God, to obey His commands, to show the world that I value God more than I value possessions. So how do we do that? Well, I want to make some suggestions to you. The first is this, that we return a portion of what we have to God. That we give back to God a portion of what he's done, what he's given to us. Let me just read you what the, uh, the Apostle Paul says in, in one of the letters that he wrote. He said, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The more I understand about the fact, the truth, that God has made me rich, that what I have, I have because God has blessed me with it, then the more I am less a reluctant giver and more of a cheerful giver. And then he goes on in the next verse, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work when I understand how God has blessed me, that He has made me rich, then I want to give back to God a portion of what He has given to me. I do it as an act of obedience. I do it as an expression of my gratitude to God for what He has given to me. Secondly, God has given me a responsibility then to provide for my family. So I give some back to God as an expression of my love and gratitude. Secondly, I use what I have to provide for my family and myself. The Bible says that's a primary responsibility that God has given to us, to care for those who are a responsibility that God has given to us. The Bible says that if, I, if a person doesn't care for his own family, he's worse than an infidel. And that includes taking care of my own needs as well. So I need to make sure that I provide for the needs of my family. That includes caring for my children, making sure that my children or my spouse are cared for. It may, in some cases, uh, mean caring for your parents. I say that in the hope that my son and daughter are somewhere listening to this tape. We care for our families. That's a responsibility that God has given to us. Third, we give generously to the poor. Because I am rich, God has given me a responsibility for those who are poorer. The Bible says that to whom much is given, much is required. 
God lays a special responsibility on those of us who have so much to share with those who have less. Let me just read you some some passages from the Bible where God addresses that issue. In Luke, John the Baptist actually says this. He says, The man who has two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Well, that's brutally clear, isn't it? If you have two tunics... You need to share it with the one who has none. If you have plenty of food to eat, you need to share it with those who don't. James says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. One more passage. The disciple John writes this, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Because we are rich, God gives us a responsibility to help care for the poor. We are rich. We are rich because God has blessed us. And because we are rich, we have a responsibility to the poor. The fourth thing that I would suggest for myself and for you is that we pray that God would free us from the prison of greed and materialism that can just confine our lives and limit us so much. It's a, it's a battle. For me, it's an ongoing battle, maybe for you too. And uh, I need God's help in trusting Him and believing His promises. So one more passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do I believe that's true? If I do, then it's going to affect how I use the riches that God has given to me. So in closing, let me just make a couple what I hope are practical suggestions, um, particularly with the holiday time coming up, because that's a time when when we really are tempted to uh, make poor financial decisions, uh, to act foolishly and uh, selfishly. So one of the things that's coming up is um, the Thanksgiving spread, right? One of my favorite meals of the year is that Thanksgiving meal with turkey and all the trimmings. I love that food. I want to challenge you this year when you have that meal to use that as a reminder to yourself that you are rich. You are rich And when you look at that table full of food or when you're done eating and you feel that bloated, contented feeling, remember you are rich. And then Christmas is coming, a time when we, we, most of us, I think, spend foolishly, unwisely, and unnecessarily. I would encourage you to think of Christmas this year as a time when not only providing for your family, but you might be able to uh, use the riches God has given you to help others. Brought along a couple uh, catalogs that we have at home. This is from a, an organization called Heifer International. And the idea is that you could buy a heifer or some other um, productive animal that would be given to a developing country family who is, whose life could be changed by this. And a heifer is kind of expensive, so it might be that you would just buy part of a heifer. I don't mean you'd buy part of a heifer. I mean you would be part of a group of people who would buy a heifer. You know, not like you would buy part. Yep, I bought those hooves for that family there. Um, another catalog, World Vision. Um, 
This is so great. You just have all these choices of what you could, what you could buy for a family who, whose lives could be changed literally by this gift. To buy a goat for a family. Or three chickens. Or, you know, some, something else like that. It's, it's amazing the opportunities here. And, um, our small group, um, our, we have, six couples in a group. We have a fun meeting every winter when we go through this and decide what we're going to give that year. And so instead of giving gifts to each other, we go together and we buy some of this stuff. And one of the things I like about this is because it's not just animals, but it has a whole section about clean water. And that for a very reasonable amount of money, you can provide the money for a deep water well in a community that maybe doesn't have any access to clean water. What a difference that could make in the lives of those people. Um, and it's self-pumping, it's a couple hundred dollars. Uh, it'd be a great thing. It would be a great thing. How pleased God would be if this became a focus of our Christmas this year. You know? What pleasure it would bring to you. What an example and a lesson it would give to your children if you did this together as a family. I would just really encourage us during this holiday time to realize we are rich and therefore God can use our riches in powerful ways. So I want us to wind this up just by taking a minute to confess to God that maybe this is an area that we haven't handled real well and ask for his help in doing a better job of it in the future. So let's pray. Uh, Well, Jesus, we confess to you, it's so easy for us to get uh, caught up in the consumerism and the materialism of our society. It's hard to fight against it. And so um, we ask your help in that. Help us to see that we are rich, but that that lays a big responsibility upon us. And I would pray that in these, these next couple months during this holiday time especially, that we'd realize that uh, there are lots of ways where our riches could be used to, to help others, whether it's buying a pie or a heifer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.